Welcome into Real Pod Wednesdays. I'm Dan Hope, joined by Andy Anders, as we've spent probably about the past month of these episodes talking about a quarterback competition at Ohio State. That competition is finally over, as Ryan Day said Tuesday, that Kyle McCord will be Ohio State's starting quarterback going forward. And I think we both agree, Andy, after watching Saturday's game against Youngstown State, that This was an obvious move for Ryan Day to make, and it was the right time for him to make this move. Yeah, no, completely agree. And, you know, as I've talked about extensively, you've talked about extensively, this new move needed to be made going into this week because you have to give McCord a week as the guy, as quarterback one, to find a better rhythm, find more confidence before you have to go on the road and play another Dame team that's looking pretty good right now. Um, just had a very nice win over North Carolina State this weekend. So uh, McCord, 14 of 20 on Saturday, had 258 yards, three touchdowns, no picks. That's 70% completions uh, for those of you not doing very quick mental math at home. Uh, I I really liked what McC- some of the things McCord showed Saturday. Still has some areas to work on. Still a couple throws that could have been more accurate and some things of that nature. But overall, I, I like the steps he's taken, and he's definitely done enough to separate from what we've seen from Devin Brown and win the job. Yeah, I think, you know, you've talked about it before several times on this show over the past month that with Notre Dame coming up next week, Ohio State could only experiment for so long with this quarterback competition. And I think it's been apparent these first couple of games that, This Ohio State offense has not gotten into quite the rhythm that we would expect from it at this point. And I think the fact that Ohio State has been splitting reps between quarterbacks in practice, has been splitting reps between quarterbacks in games, has probably been one contributing factor to the fact that this offense has not quite looked the way it should so far. And so I think making Kyle the starter this week is very important just for the ability to create rhythm this week against Western Kentucky with the goal of really getting into a rhythm next week against Notre Dame because Notre Dame's ranked ninth in the country right now. They look like a really good team. That's going to be a really big test, and Ohio State is going to need to be sharp in order to win that game. And so while, you know, I, I think Devin's play was probably criticized a lot on Saturday and I you know especially after rewatching the game like I don't think Devin was necessarily bad against Youngstown State he had some bad throws he also had some really good plays like he had a beautiful throw to Carnell Tate down the field on the initial drive he he had a really nice fourth down conversion where he extended the play outside the pocket completed a pass to G Scott I also think that if the defensive pass interference that probably should have been called when Marvin got pushed down on what would have been a 40-yard touchdown. If that push doesn't happen, it's probably a 40-yard touchdown. And if you add that to Devin's stats, they look a lot better than they ultimately did. And so I don't think Devin was bad. And I will be interested when those opportunities come for Devin to play again if he looks better now that he has a start under his belt. Because, you know, Ryan Day acknowledged it after the game on Saturday that some of the stuff we saw from Devin against Youngstown State was stuff we saw from Kyle against Indiana. And then once Kyle got 
you know, that first start of a year under his belt, he was more comfortable in game two. And so I'll be interested to see how that progresses with Devin. But at the same time, I think it was necessary for Ohio State to make a decision and roll with it at this point, because they're simply running out of time to be experimenting at that quarterback position. I think the experimentation has held the offense back. And, you know, I think it was clear enough on Saturday that Kyle McCord is the better quarterback right now. And as we've talked about before, Andy, at the end of the day, that's what this is all about. It's not about who's going to be the better quarterback next year or in the future. It's about who's the best quarterback to lead this offense right now. And I think pretty much everyone agrees, based on what we saw on Saturday, that Kyle McCord is that guy right now. Right, exactly. He gives you the best chance to win this year. And I think you saw it when, uh, you know, Devin Brown came into the game. There was just a little more clunkiness. The offense was a little out of rhythm. Now, they did score a touchdown on Devin's first drive, the fourth possession of the game. But it was it was one they really had to work for. Uh, you talk about converting on that fourth down, uh, fourth and medium situation. Uh, but, you know, it, it's again, just the consistency and what Day talked about today is sort of like, McCord's special trait, you know, is he can be a real game manager for this team. He's got a certain comfort in the pocket. I've always praised his pocket presence. Um, I, I just I like how confident he is back there and willing to stand in and make a throw. Um, he's got a poise about him that you really want there. And uh, Day praised his accuracy in practice today, talking about you know he's had some. In, a few inconsistencies in games, I think less against Youngstown State than he had against Indiana making accurate throws. But someone asked Day directly, what is it that could make McCord special? And he pointed to his game management abilities, being smart with the football, being consistent, and then accuracy. He said his accuracy has the potential to be special. And so I think those are the traits that you uh, want to look for from McCord and really develop his game as the season progresses. And that starts with him being named the guy. So he has that control. He has that confidence moving forward as a top 10 showdown waits next week. Yeah. I mean, we still have a lot to learn about Kyle McCord because he's supposed to look good against Youngstown State. Any Ohio State's quarterback supposed to look good against Youngstown State. And so being better against Youngstown State than he was against Indiana doesn't really prove anything, but it was at least a step in the right direction. And so now you hope that next that this week against Western Kentucky, you continue to build on that. And then if you can continue to build on that, again, against a defense that's not particularly good. And so we're not really going to know where Kyle McCord is until we see him play against a good defense in Notre Dame. But at least just building up to that point, I think that's the most important thing for this week right now is building things up with Kyle McCord rather than continuing to waffle back and forth on who the quarterback actually is. Yes. And, uh, you know, I, I think that, uh, it's, it's, it's something that Ohio state needed to figure out as we've said. And, you know, I think we'll still see Devin play in, in games this year. Absolutely. You want to develop him for the future. You want to have that backup ready, but I would say don't expect to see the rotation that we've seen early in the year. You know, now that Kyle's the guy, you have to just give him those reins and Devin doesn't come in until Kyle comes out sort of a situation here. Now, kind of uh, talking about other takeaways we had from Youngstown State, Dan, Ohio State only scored 35 points in that game. You know, how much of that do we think has to do with the clock? And how much was 
inefficiencies we saw from the offensive side. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a combination of both. You know, I, I think there was a lot of discourse over the weekend about, you know, the clock rules because Ryan Day's brought it up himself a lot. He's brought it up a lot that we're just not getting as many possessions as we did in the past. And that's a reason why we're not scoring as many points. You know, he made the point that they had nine real possessions because the 10th possession was just kneeling the ball down to run or it wasn't a kneel down but it was running out the clock on the last play of the game so they had nine real possessions and they scored touchdowns on five of them that's that's pretty good i mean i you know i think when we're talking about an opponent like a youngstown state there's almost this expectation that ohio state is gonna score every time it gets the ball and it's gonna force a free and out every time the opponent has the ball and that's not really realistic and so you know, I, I mean, I thought overall, I thought Ohio State's offense definitely played better in, in week two than it did against week one. Again, not against strong competition. And so there's still a lot to learn and there's still reason to expect more from what we've seen from this Ohio State offense. But, you know, I, I thought the offense certainly made progress in week two from where it was in week one. You know, I think when you just talk about some of the inefficiency, I I do think some of it had to do with the fact that the quarterback competition was still going on. I think not even just because of the alternating in games, but just because of the alternating in practice too. I mean, when you have a starting quarterback who's only getting 50% of a reps in practice, he's not going to be able to build as much of a rhythm with, the rest of a first team offense as he is when he gets a hundred percent of those reps. And so I did, I did think it was a little interesting too, just for one final point on the quarterbacks that when Ryan day was asked about how practice reps would be split up, he said that Kyle would get more of those reps, but not necessarily all of them. And I think there's a case to be made for both sides there, because I mean, you could just look at what happened to the New York jets on Monday night when Aaron Rodgers went down on you know, the fourth play of a game and now they've got to put Zach Wilson in and it was clear they couldn't run the offense the same way they wanted to because Zach Wilson hadn't been practicing with the first team offense. If they had built everything around Aaron and that's just one example, but you know, Devin still has to be ready to play every week because all it takes is one play and Devin could be called in. And so I think there is merit to continuing to give in Devin some first team reps but I also think at this point the vast majority of those reps need to be going to Kyle and to your point I think in terms of managing the game Saturday Kyle should play until the game is in hand you know he should he should play as long as he needs to play and then you know it you know ideally you build a big comfortable lead and then you can put Devin in at some point in the second half but I think if that doesn't happen you need to keep Kyle in the game you need to just let him build build that rhythm with a first team offense as long as they're in the game and so I think that is one factor in why the offense hasn't performed up to its full capability I do think the clock rules are a real thing I mean I think you know we we were we were talking about after the game Saturday it's it's probably been what an average of like 10 plays or so that teams have lost across the country. Um, I haven't, you know, checked the specific numbers for Ohio State yet, but I know, you know, week one, there was pretty much the same number of plays. Week two, it was less number of plays, not, not drastically, 
And so I think it's being a little bit overstated in the sense that, you know, when you look at it as plays versus possessions, well, part of the reason why they're having less possessions is because their possessions are taking longer because they're not having as many, you know, quick scoring strikes as we've seen in the past. You know, some of those drives we saw on Saturday, they kind of took, took a while uh, to kind of develop. And we saw a little bit of that from the opposite side, too, with uh, the defense, even though Ohio State held Youngstown State to only seven points, they did allow conversions on seven of 15 third downs. And so there was a little bit of that, too, of Youngstown State, which was trying to run the clock against Ohio State and did so successfully because Youngstown State had 34 minutes of possession compared to just 26 for Ohio State. And so some of that, too, was just the defense allowing Youngstown State to string drives along, ultimately doing its job by keeping Youngstown State out of the end zone with the exception of that first drive of a game. But allowing Youngstown State to keep drives going long enough that Ohio State didn't get as many at-bats as Ryan Day said on Saturday. And so I think it's a combination of things. I'm going to be interested to see how it goes this week because with Western Kentucky being a much more pass-heavy team, you would think that's going to lead to quicker possessions for Western Kentucky and therefore Ohio State should have more possessions over the course of a game, provided that it can get off the field at a decent rate on defense. And so I'm going to be interested to see how it all goes this week. But, you know, I, I do think it's real. Like, I mean, I know there's people out there who just think, oh, this is just Ryan Day making an excuse. I mean, I do think there's really something to it, but it's also not, you know, it's not like if the clock was running if the clock wasn't running after first downs, then Ohio State would have scored 63 points in this game. You know, we're talking about maybe the difference of one score, not three or four scores. Yeah, no, I agree with you 100%. It, it does get accentuated when uh, a team like Youngstown State or Indiana is running an offense that is trying to take the air out of the ball, trying to keep it out of the hands of Ohio State's offense with their explosive playmakers. And, you know, I I think it encourages it a little bit, too. Um, and that has, that's a real thing. You know, when you talk, it, it seems like a more viable strategy to play that style of offense. But you're right. I don't think it's making much more than a one score difference in these games. You know, you're talking about maybe 42-7 Ohio State instead of 35-7 Ohio State, um, which, you know, maybe those score lines sound a little different. But in, in the end, it's the same and result, right? Also worth noting that Ohio State probably should have won 42-7 to anyway, because Ryan Day revealed on Tuesday that Big Ten officials told him that the holding penalty that was called against Chip Trainum that nullified a Mayan Williams touchdown run uh, should not have been called. And Ohio State ended up turning the ball over on downs on that drive when Devin Brown was sacked on fourth and goal. And so this game easily could have been 42 to seven anyway. Yes, I agree with that. And I, I think it might be 42-7 if you don't keep rotating quarterbacks in the first place and keep the offense in the rhythm it was finding with McCord because I think he looked really strong early in that game. Uh, the, th the second touchdown pass to Marvin Harrison really sticks out in my mind as far as, you know, and we've, we've touched on the quarterbacks enough, but uh, he, he was there was a real rhythm the offense had when he was in there. And 
going back to the third down and efficiencies, you know, it's one of the biggest things that Ohio State's offense especially needs to address right now. Uh, you shouldn't be failing to convert third and two, third and three against Youngstown State. You should be able to pound the rock, have the confidence to do that, just run it up the middle and get the first down against these kinds of teams. It's simple, but it's true. I, I also know it's coach speak, and but coach speak is coach speak for a reason a lot of times. Day said it's one thing here, one thing there. It's never one thing that's one specific player, one specific group that's always costing them on third downs. You know, sometimes it's McCord's inexperience, not knowing exactly where to go with a ball or maybe an inaccurate pass. Sometimes it's the offensive line having a lapse. Sometimes it's or maybe a running back missing a hole. There's different things that happen on a lot of these plays. I still think maybe the offensive line gets a plurality of the issues in that area. I think there's been a lot of inconsistencies up front, particularly in those short yarded situations, missing assignments when the defense is stacking the line of scrimmage and creating more, you know, bodies who have to figure out how to block. But at the same time, the fans don't want to hear it because they think it's an excuse, but it, it is only week three. There are still not just Ohio State, but a lot of offenses around the country that are trying to get everything to gel. And I think especially up front, when you have these three new starters, it's going to take a long time. Now, you would like them to be further along than they are right now, but they still took a step Saturday, and I'm not going to write it off that they can get to where they're an offensive line capable of with the pieces they have around it winning a national title. Yeah, I think you make a lot of good points there. And I, I agree with the assessment of it being different things. You know, I think we want to be able to come out here and say, this is why they didn't do as well as they should do on third down. But the reality is it's not that simple. It really is that simple. It's not just, oh, if they replace this player, they're going to go and score a touchdown in every drive. It's that's not reality and that's not the way it works. It's again, it's it's you got an experienced quarterback, you got an inexperienced offensive line. All these parts are still kind of figuring out how to work together. And I think it's it's clear at this point they haven't fully figured things out yet. I do think that they figured more things out in week two than they did in week one. You know, my personal opinion, like especially after rewatching the game, is I didn't think the offensive line was that bad on on Saturday. I really didn't. I, I thought they actually played pretty well. Now, granted, it was against Youngstown State. And like you said, against a Youngstown State, you're supposed to be able to go in there on third and short and run the ball up the middle, no problem. So I'm not sitting here saying, well, the offensive line is fixed. I think it's still, it's been my number one area of concern with this team. And it still is, especially now that we've seen some growth from Kyle McCord that, you know, the offensive line is still my biggest concern with this team. But I also didn't think that it was all bad on Saturday. Yeah, there were some costly penalties, and that's definitely something that needs to be addressed. Yeah, I mean, this team still has to figure out how do we just really impose our will and, and have more success running the ball in those short yardage situations. But I did feel like there was some progress to build on in week two. Again. We're not going to learn that much against Youngstown State and Western Kentucky. Notre Dame is going to be our first real test of, okay, where is this offensive line? But I did feel like we saw some progress in week two, and now you obviously want to see more progress in week three. 
Uh, yeah, and you, you mentioned those penalties. They they negated uh, some runs from Travion Henderson, but on the whole, Henderson, I think, showed you a lot of things uh, talking more about this offense that you wanted to see from him in this game. I've, again, on this podcast, on 11 Warriors, been riding the Travion Henderson train this year. I think this is going to be a really big bounce back year from him. And, you know, five carries, 56 yards, Great stat line and limited touches. It would have been eight carries, 83 yards if you include runs that were called called back. Um, he scored two touchdowns, and it was really the same traits that he sh- he showed as a freshman that he might have shown in brief glimpses last year as he was dealing with injuries. It's the explosiveness. He's got a different burst, a different acceleration a different ability to turn the corner around defenses really saw that on his 30 yard touchdown run. It was a play that I think every single other running back in that Ohio state backfield would have been dead to rights on in the backfield sweeping around the edge. When I reviewed that play and it's hard to always tell this, it looked like Devin Brown was in that series. It looked like it was an inverted veer read option that Brown got the read wrong on. He should have kept. He gave. The defensive end came down on Travion, and Travion just ran around him. And that's not something that many running backs can do. Um, Maybe it was a designed handoff. I can't say with 100% certainty. But in any case, and then it was after that, making multiple cuts, and you saw that on his other 13-yard touchdown run, his quick shiftiness, really big jump cuts and just that explosion. It adds another home run threat to the offense. Like like Kyle McCord said after the game, you know, um, he had a really telling quote, you know, a healthy Travion Henderson is scary. Any way that we can get the ball in Trey's hands, it's a win for the Buckeyes. And they shared a similar sentiment. So, yes, again, every single takeaway we have, the caveat is it's against Youngstown State. It's an FCS team. They aren't going to have the caliber of tacklers that Notre Dame has. But you can just see it in Travion's running style right now, um, and he's willing to get physical too. I uh, still want to see the progression of the vision. I think that was the next step he had to take in his game coming into this year, but really liked a lot of the things that we saw from Travion on Saturday. Yeah, I mean, I think in both of the first two games, it's been apparent that Travion's healthy again. He's got his explosiveness back. Maybe the stats weren't fair against Indiana, but I think you can just see it watching it with your eyes. He's got that burst back. He's got that quickness back, but he simply just didn't have last year because he was playing on a broken foot. And so uh, that's certainly a, a good thing for the offense. And, you know, I, I, I was looking this up while you were talking too, because I, I think it's worth pointing out too, because I think a lot of the talk about the offense struggling has focused in on that only 4.6 yards per carry against Youngstown State and that not being a great number. I would point out that if you take Devin Brown's runs out of there, that number would improve up to 5.4. And I do think that in my mind, Devin was tucking and running the ball just too much in my mind. I I think he, and that's one reason why they're going with Kyle here, is I, I think Devin was a little bit too inclined to, if he didn't, see what he was looking for early in the passing play to just tuck and try to make a play of his feet. And he didn't have a whole lot of success doing that. He did, he did rev one first down run that was effective, but for the most part, didn't get a lot out of those running plays. And so I think that's something to kind of look at too, when you're kind of breaking down the stats that, you know, that's something that factors into that. 
Absolutely. And um, it, it is interesting. I, I think, you know, again, there's still more consistency you want to see in the ground game from this offensive line. But you're right. Uh, I think subtracting Devin Brown's runs gives you a clearer picture of kind of what the running backs did. And it's also nice to see, you know, the development of depth in the backfield. I think through two weeks now, we have an established rotation of Travion Henderson is going to be the featured back as much as they're going to feature a back in the offense this year. Trip Trayanum has kind of emerged as the number two guy. Uh, I think showed you a lot of things you liked against Indiana. Had the second most carries, or did he have the most carries this week? He was, was he tied with mine for the most carries, but he had the second most snaps. That's what it is. Okay, and uh, he had the second most snaps behind Travion, and has really again his. Skill set is different from what both Mayan and Travion bring, and I think he's kind of emerging as the number two back in this offense, but Mayan's still going to get his touches, especially in the red zone, especially in short yardage. Uh, we've referred to him jokingly as a touchdown vulture a couple of times in the press box, but uh, it, it suits his skill set well, that aggression. He's built low to the ground, some quick cuts in space to make guys hit him at weird angles when they're trying to tackle him. Um, it, it suits him well for that short yardage, and I think it's a really good three-headed monster, so to speak, in the backfield. But kind of moving off the backfield, uh, something we saw this week that was a huge positive for the Ohio State offense going forward, something you definitely wanted to see, Marvin Harrison Jr. and Emeka Ibuka. They're still good, Dan. They made some big plays in this game. Uh, more than uh, 200 yards between them, more than 250 yards between them. Receiving really helped McCord settle in, and you know, just great for the offense to see those guys producing like they were last year. Breaking, Marvin Harrison Jr. is still good. Uh, yeah, he had seven catches for 160 yards and two touchdowns all before halftime. So certainly the kind of game that he needed as well as Emeka Buka needed just to get them going again. We talked about that last week that, you know, the numbers they had against Indiana, like those just aren't good enough. You know, when those guys that talented, you have to get them more involved. They did this week. Again, the same caveat, I think it was a little bit easier to get them going this week because the level of competition was lower, but certainly just to get into that rhythm. And I think you could see this week, what I don't think we saw first week is I think you could see that connection that's been so well established over the years between Kyle McCord and Marvin Harrison. You you could see that coming back in this game. You know, you mentioned the, the deep ball earlier, 39-yard touchdown where uh, Kyle did a really nice job, you know, layering the ball over a couple defensive backs, giving Marvin a chance to make a play in the end zone. And that's a big thing we talked about last week. You have to give those guys chances to make plays. It doesn't always, with a Marvin Harrison Jr., it doesn't always have to be the perfect pass, but you have to put it somewhere where he can make a play. And for the most part, he did that. He did acknowledge it was his final pass attempt of a game. In the third quarter, he missed behind Marvin on on a comeback throw. So it's not perfect yet. There's still growth there. But we definitely saw progress in terms of that connection starting to find its legs in week two. And again, I think this week against Western Kentucky is an important opportunity for Ohio State to continue to build on that. Right. And kind of moving to the defensive side of the ball, uh, you know, some areas where Ohio State maybe looked more vulnerable this week, particularly that first drive, giving up a big play early, then YSU kind of marching into the end zone from there. Uh, still, though, 
positives. You know, they look dominant kind of on the whole. Only points came on that first drive for Youngstown State. Um, currently top five in the country for both points and yards allowed per game. How much can you take away from this these first two weeks, Dan? Do we feel like they're actually better, you know, than last year and have made the improvements they need when it comes time to face those, you know, matchup games, as Knowles or Day would say? Yeah, it's hard to say. I mean, I think they're better because, I mean, they, they currently rank in the top five in the country and only points and, and yards allowed per game, but they also haven't played any good competition yet. And they haven't played an offense that's really going to resemble the top competition in the country. And so, you know, that's why, again, I go back to this week against Western Kentucky you know, I think I think this week's game is going to be telling on both sides of the ball. I think it's going to be telling on the offense because it's going to be our first time to really see the offense coalesce around one quarterback. But I think it's going to be really telling for the defense because this is a Western Kentucky team that led the FBS in passing yards last season. Their quarterback from last year, Austin Reed, is back. Uh, Malachi Corley, he he missed last week's game with an injury, but he is expected to play this week. He uh, was actually actually the leading returning receiver in the country last year. If I if I done the math right, this week's game is actually going to feature the top three returning receivers in college football from last year in terms of yardage. Because Malachi Corley had the most yards among returning receivers. Marvin Harrison Jr. and Emeka Buka were second and third. So there's going to be a lot of receiving talent on the field this week, and I think you know for that Ohio State defense. Uh, it's it's going to be a big test for the secondary for sure. And I think an area that I'm certainly going to be watching closely on Saturday is the pass rush, because I think one thing that stands out, if you're looking for things to nitpick about this defensive performance for the first two weeks, it's the fact that Ohio State's defensive ends don't have any sacks. And when you have JT Tuomolowau and Jack Sawyer in their third year, you expect to be doing better than that. Now, I asked Ryan Day about it on Tuesday. Somebody else asked Jim Knowles about it. And neither of them seemed overly concerned about the lack of sacks because of the fact that neither of the first two teams Ohio State has played have been past happy teams. And I think, you know, if you if you watch, you know, the way they run the defense, you know, a lot of times on some of these plays, the defensive ends, their primary responsibility hasn't even been to try to to the quarterback as much as it's been to occupy blockers and, and free up blitzers coming in from behind them. And so I don't think it's time to panic yet about Ohio State's lack of sacks from the defensive ends. But I do think going into this week where you're going to be going up against a team where you know they're going to want to pass the ball a lot, I do think we need to see something from the defensive ends this week. You know, whether that be JT Tuomolau or Jack Sawyer or you know, Caden Curry, Kenyatta Jackson, I think we need to see those guys start to make some game-changing plays because, you know, that's kind of been the narrative here for like four years now of like, they're talented on the defensive line, they can disrupt plays, but they're not really finishing those plays, making those game kind of game-changing kind of plays in the backfield. I think we've seen that a little more from the defensive tackles. I think Mike Hall has played well. I think Tyleek Williams has played really well the first couple of weeks, but we haven't really seen those game-changing kind of plays yet from the defensive ends. 
No, it's been a struggle the last, ever since Chase Young left, right, to get that premier edge rusher. Even a guy who produces at like a Taekwon Lewis level, like they're not getting getting guys with seven, eight sacks the last few years, you know. And it's it's concerning if you exit this week and it's still the trend, like you said. And I personally still have quite a bit of concern about it, even against Indiana and Youngstown State. I know they're not passing the ball all the time, but they're still passing it plenty. There were still plenty of passes thrown in that game, and you're seeing interior pressure and on a collection of plays, whether it be from Mike Hall, Tyleek Williams, blitzing linebackers, Tommy had a Tommy Eichenberg had a big sack against Youngstown State, and like I will point out JT was blatantly held on a play it wasn't called, and he probably gets a sack on that play if it if it isn't, if he isn't held but you you're just not feeling them off the edge on these plays, even if you're not getting to the quarterback. I haven't seen them affect many throws. I haven't seen them pressure. You, you need that this week to show itself, or it's going to be a major concern going forward, because when those matchup games come against Michigan or against Notre Dame or against Penn State or in the postseason, you have to be able to get the quarterback's internal clock moving a little bit, rush him on some throws because if he's got time to just sit back there and you can double those interior guys and the ends aren't getting it done, then it's, it creates problems everywhere else. It bleeds forward through the rest of the defense when the defensive line isn't doing what it needs to do. Now, as we talked about, this week is going to also be a big test for the secondary. And, you know, one of the big question marks that Ohio State still has in the secondary is at that free safety spot because we talked about it last week. Josh Proctor played really well against Indiana, and it looked like he was going to be the starter going forward, but then he wasn't able to play last week due to an injury. And so we saw Malik Hartford get the start, and you know we've heard so many good things about Malik, but then he plays one series, the one series on which Youngstown scores a touchdown, and then Jihad Carter took his place for the remainder of the game. And so... That's still a spot here that there's some uncertainty about. Jim Knowles did reiterate on Tuesday that when Josh Proctor's healthy, he expects him to be the starter. I think we would both agree that he's a guy you'd like to see him play this week because this is going to be more of a test like we talked about after the Indiana game. He's a guy that when he's run into issues, it's typically been in, in coverage. and this is the type of team that is going to actually test him in coverage. And so we'll see, is it going to be Josh Proctor? My feeling is if it's not Josh Proctor, then it's probably going to be Jihad Carter based on what we saw Ohio State do last week. But one way or another, like I think if you're, you're circling a position on that back end that you still got question marks about, it, it's that free safety spot. And you'd certainly like to come out of this week's game feeling really good about at least one guy at that spot going into Notre Dame. We were talking about this before, Dan. You, you really want to see Josh Proctor healthy for this game and tested against a team that can throw the ball downfield like this because he's always had the reputation of coming down into the running game, being a hard hitter. The Indiana offense seemed to suit his skill set really well, and he kind of popped in that game to me, running downhill, defending the triple option, etc. What does he look like against the team that's going to throw the ball over the top? Does he make some of those mistakes 
and do some of those pass coverage concerns pop up that maybe were there for him in years past, right? I, I think Ohio State's coaching staff, too, would like to evaluate him in those situations. If Proctor isn't healthy, kind of expect Jahad Carter to get that nod just because of his experience. Malik Hartford, guys, I hate to break it to some fans out there who might think otherwise, but when guys are freshmen, they need time to grow and develop. They're not necessarily, even if they have a higher ceiling than certain upperclassmen that are in front of them, they're not at that ceiling yet. They have to learn and grow. And maybe they show flashes on certain plays where it looks like they could have intercepted a pass or they make a big tackle. But then the next play, they don't know what they're doing against a certain look and they give up a big throw. And I think some of that uncertainty and lack of confidence is some of what Jim Knowles saw from Malik Saturday. And it's no knock against Malik again. It's his second week playing college football, you know, but that's why you turned to Jahad Carter in that situation and went with the more experienced veteran hand. And that's what I'd expect them to start with on Saturday. How long will Jahad stay in? I really don't know. You'd like to see Malik play in that game for certain and get more of that experience under his belt because he could very well be called upon to be the team starting the safety if someone goes down, if Josh continues to struggle with injury by the end of the year. But for now, I think it's best to really try to slowly bring him along and treat him the way you treat most freshmen in their development. Yeah, it's interesting because, I mean, at least from my vantage point watching that drive, I didn't notice any glaring mistakes from Malik Hartford, so it didn't seem like there was anything that he did that was like clearly freshman mistakes. But it's obvious that Jim Knowles, even Ryan Day acknowledged uh, on Monday when he was on the radio that they called a timeout early in the game because he wasn't exactly sure what he was supposed to do. And so I think, you know, I, I the way I interpreted it based on what Jim Knowles said on Tuesday was maybe we put a little too much on this plate early and maybe there was kind of a rec- recognition of that of like, okay, maybe throwing him into the starting lineup in week two like maybe that was a little bit too fast. Maybe we need to pull back a little bit and and bring him along more gradually. And and I think, you know, that's some kind of a push and pull that they're debating right now. But that that's certainly gonna be an interesting position to watch this week. Another position that's gonna be interesting to watch in the secondary is the nickel safety spot. Because uh, I know at least I kind of went into this season thinking is as promising as Sonny Styles is and uh you know as well as he's played I mean I thought he played very well again on Saturday he had that one uh hit that was very reminiscent of Denzel Ward's famous barbecue hit against Maryland and you could certainly uh continue to see the playmaking ability of Sonny Styles on a regular basis but I also kind of thought they're probably not going to be playing him in the slot every play when you start going against teams that spread the ball out and have true slot receivers. And we saw that against Youngstown State, where he played about half the plays. Now, Cam Martinez initially got in the game as the first guy to spell him in that nickel role. Then he gives up a 36-yard catch on the opening drive. And then we saw more of Jordan Hancock in that role over the course of a game. And, you know, I remember we were talking about it when we were driving to Indiana about, you know, Jordan Hancock was kind of a guy that I had my eye on. If He's a guy that I think might be the best fit to be that 
slot cornerback when you want to substitute more of a corner in in place of a bigger bodied nickel in Sonny. And I think we saw that start to come to the surface against Youngstown State. And so it's going to be really interesting this week because, I mean, my guess would be this week, you're going to see Jordan Hancock play most of a the game there because this is a team that passes the ball all game. They're going to have three plus receivers out there most of a game. Malachi Corley is a guy who lines up in the slot a lot. And so it'll be interesting, one, to see, okay, how heavily do they lean on Jordan? Do, you know, do they kind of rely on him to play that role all game or do they continue to mix Cam in there? Do they, do they play Sonny as, as a true slot a decent amount? And then, you know, branching off of that too, if you do need to rely on Jordan to play that spot most of the game, do we see Sonny play somewhere else? You know, I know Jim Knowles was asked about that on Tuesday, and he basically said, you know, that's an option that's on the table. And that's something I've wondered about. And you get into a more pass happy attack is do you move? I mean, can, can Sonny help out with what we're talking about? At deep safety, could Sonny potentially spell one of the linebackers on some play? We haven't seen them do any of that yet, but I'm still intrigued to see as they play a more passing-oriented offense if we could see a little bit more of that. Because I think we both agree, as talented as Sonny is, he looks like a guy who should be on the field more often than not. But I also think against an offense like this Western Kentucky offense, that playing him as a slot corner might not be your recipe for success. No, it's not the best use of his skill set. I think uh, when you're talking about a pure cover guy, Hancock's probably better at that, just man-to-man, sizing up a slot receiver. I mean, that's just Hancock's a corner, Sonny's a safety. That's kind of the nature of those two positions. As versatile as Sonny is, and his length gives you a lot of options in coverage, right? Because he can contest a lot of throws. It's Jordan Hancock's got the foot speed. He's got the training. He's got the background to be the pure cover guy. I personally want to see a lot more of him than Cam Martinez because I think a lot of the things that Cam Martinez gives you, Sonny Styles gives you a little better version of. And that's nothing against Cam. Sonny's just a special talent. And, you know, if it's not Sonny out there, you kind of want a pure cover guy. And that's what Jordan gives you. Um, that's just my take on it. Uh, obviously, I'm not seeing these guys every day in practice like the coaching staff is. Uh, what I will say is I think, to your point about sub packages, Dime would be a fantastic way to get them both on the field at once. Uh, put Sonny in more of a strong safety role. Um, have that him be a, well more of a nickel safety role that's like in the box around the ball and maybe covering an interior passing option in a four wide set or a three wide set with a tight end where you're fairly certain they're going to throw the ball and maybe he's defending a tight end on that play or he's dropping to a different zone uh, and have Jordan also on the field as a true slot corner more so where he's matched up on you know that slot receiver and I think that's definitely something you could see deployed especially when Western Kentucky is putting Corley in the slot put Hancock on Corley as the matchup cover guy and then still have Sonny in a role where he can roam the field and make plays uh, because he's got 
plenty of build and plenty of strength and toughness uh, against especially an air raid attack like this to almost be more of an interior kind of hybrid Sam Nickel role, that strike position that Knowles made reference to earlier in the year, or made up, I should say, earlier in the year, kind of on the spot when we were asking him about it. Uh, so that's a package I frankly would really be interested to see this week is more of a true slot corner roll from Hancock with Sonny on the field as almost a hybrid nickel Sam. Yeah, it's a good point. And we did see them use that on one play against Youngstown State. So I think it's definitely possible that we could see that as more of a true package this week against an offense that gives you reason to to play that way more. Because this is a Western Kentucky team. I mean, they're going to have three receivers on the field pretty much every play. And they're going to have four receivers on the field on, on a lot of plays. And so I think there's definitely reason to consider using a dime look a lot more in this game, especially when you're in third and long, second and long passing type situations. A hundred percent. And yeah, I, I, again, that's, that's a package that frankly, I think a lot of people can get behind. Uh, Kind of moving on another area of the defense, Uh, the defensive tackles and day Knowles were praising the interior defensive line play after Saturday. What what have you seen from the defensive tackles through these first few weeks, Dan? And are you happy? You know, we talked about the rotation last week. What do you think of it this week? Yeah, I mentioned it earlier, but I I think the defensive tackles have played well. I think, you know, Tyleek Williams in particular is a guy, but I think was not getting a lot of talk before the season, but I think he has really reemerged here in these first couple of weeks and has played very well. You know, I think Mike Hall, we've seen, you know, that explosiveness that he brings. It's unique for that position. And we've you could see, you know, there's times he can just wreck a play. And so, you know, I, I think those two in tandem with Ty Hamilton, I think they've found a really strong top three there. I I know you're still in the camp that, you know, Mike Hall should be playing a bigger share of those snaps. And I'd probably agree with that, especially when we're talking about, uh, you know, a Notre Dame game in a couple of weeks of, of, of giving him more of that lion's share of snaps. But I also think all three of those guys are, are, are playing at a high level. I think your most dynamic combo, at least in terms of pass rushing, you know, they, they have the Rushman look with Mike Hall and Caden Curry in there that I like. I think in a more base package, I think your more dynamic duo is Mike Hall and Tyleek Williams. That does put Mike Hall at the one, whereas his for free is maybe his better position. And so I, I like having Ty Hamilton in there in a heavy role too, which plays Mike at more of a free. But I, I think you have, with those three, I think you have, three solid combinations that can be very disruptive in there. And, and I do think we've seen Larry Johnson keep it a little bit tighter in terms of those three guys are the ones really rotating. We've seen Jaden McKenzie get in there and he, he's played well when he's gotten his reps, but it's been on a more limited basis as they've really leaned more heavily on those top three. And I think they're going to continue to do that over the course of the year. Yeah. I wouldn't, again, you mentioned Jaden McKenzie. I will say, the limited snaps he has. He is a guy who's exceeded my expectations for him this season thus far, two weeks against, you know, Indiana and Youngstown State, who's to say. But, you know, I, I would like to see still a little uptick for Mike Hall. Maybe they are saving him for some of the bigger games, given the injury concerns he had last year. Tyleek got the most snaps on Saturday. And, you know, Tyleek has shown you a lot of things and 
I think I mentioned it last week, his discipline has impressed me, um, making plays against screen passes and in the run game where he maybe wouldn't have made those plays last year, plays where you have to rely more on your technique and your eyes as opposed to just your pure physical characteristics and your ability to overwhelm an offensive line. Uh, moving on, though, to the offensive side of the ball against this Western Kentucky team, it you know, talking about this preview, it, it feels like more of a chance for the offense to settle in because Western Kentucky playing against a much lower level of competition than Ohio State does uh, on a given season in Conference USA, pretty middle of the road nationally when it comes to defense. 44th in scoring, but 73rd in total defense and 85th in pass defense uh, in terms of yards allowed per game. So, And that was last this, year. If you look at the stats from year. this year... Western Kentucky currently ranks 121st in total defense and 131st in rushing defense. And one of its games was against Houston Christian, which is an FCS school. So we've played two games now. I'm looking more at the stats from this year. And, and so far, uh, this Western Kentucky defense has not been very good. Now, it has limited scoring from opponents. And, and I think some of that, too, in terms of a yardage, speaks to what we were talking about before. Of This is a Western Kentucky offense that's going to move fast. It's going to pass the ball a lot. And so Ohio State should, in theory, get more possessions in this game than it's gotten in the first two games. And if it can be efficient, I, I think the potential is there for Ohio State to score significantly more points than it did in the first two games. You know, how much? I know when we've done our score predictions, I've, I've overshot on my Ohio State score prediction for the first two weeks. So I may go a little bit more conservative this week, but I, I do think the ingredients are there of more possessions, more efficiency behind one quarterback. If those things can come together, I, I do think we could certainly see Ohio State's offense put up bigger numbers this week. Right. Uh, you mentioned limiting s scoring, I think, too. And, uh, you know, I, I, bring up, I brought up last year's statistics just because two games, small sample size for me. I get, you know, it's enough to make some judgments for certainly uh, plenty of people. And uh, it, it is interesting, though, to see how low they're ranked in some of those yardage numbers. A lot of the reason they've been able to limit scoring in spite of you know, those defensive shortcomings is turnovers. They've generated six takeaways, haven't turned the ball over at all on offense. Um, I touched on that a little bit, and, you know, five things to know, but about Western Kentucky, you know, our weekly piece here on 11 Warriors, but the, they have, when you have that high turnover margin, it can mask a lot of issues, especially on defense. And uh, it's something they've gotten the last two weeks. Uh, and, you know, that'll be another interesting to, thing to see. You always want to see earlier in the year, can Ohio State limit mistakes and not give the ball away? But overall, definitely an opportunity for McCord to continue finding a rhythm and for this offense to get some confidence running the ball, getting downhill. When you're facing a team that now currently ranks, you know, 131st, there's 131 teams that's dead last in rushing defense. You need to be able to convert those third and short situations we've been talking about. Get downhill, run the ball, maybe some more under center looks this week. Ohio State definitely mixed in the shotgun a lot in those short yardage situations last week. Just find that path, those couple of plays on third and short, a couple of reliable running plays that you can build better third down efficiency around because it starts with converting third and short and 
you know, you build from there and convert more of those third and long plays, of course, but you need to be able to consistently move the rock on third and two and keep a drive alive. Uh, that's really, again, we've, we've talked about it a lot, but it's the one of the biggest areas Ohio State really needs to take another step offensively. Yeah, but worth clarifying, there are 133 FBS teams now, so it's third to last. Still very third bad, best. but not yes. the worst in the FBS, so we'll, we'll clarify that. that. But nevertheless, you know, this is an, a defense that has struggled to stop the run. You look at yards per carry allowed. Western Kentucky has allowed 5.51 yards per carry. That ranks 122nd in the FBS. And again, one of their games was against Houston Christian and F. CS school. So it's not as if they've played two power five teams already and, and that's uh, deflating their numbers. All that said, Western Kentucky is not a bad team. Like I think that's, that's an important thing to, to say here is what, this is not a bad team. And this is a team that has posted back to back nine win seasons. This is a team that is more than capable of contending for a conference USA title. As you mentioned, they've, they've been great in terms of turnover margin and so that's an important thing what is the recipe for an upset in one of these games usually it starts with the underdog winning the turnover battle and so that is surely going to be a big point of emphasis for ohio state this week is first and foremost take care of the ball on offense and then you know, you'd love to make some you know, disruptive plays on defense and and cause more turnovers too, because Ohio State has only done that once this year. Though listening to Jim Knowles on Tuesday, it, it seems like he's he he's shifted his philosophy more toward preventing the big play rather than full out aggression trying to make the big play. And we'll see how that ultimately unfolds over the course of a year. But that that's kind of a way that he's been talking is that after having so much trouble giving up big plays last year, they're more focused on not doing that than they are on actually making both tackle for a loss and, and takeaway type plays themselves. But either way, th again, this defense is going to be tested in that this week because this is a Youngstown, or I'm sorry, a Western Kentucky offense that has some firepower through the air. And so uh, this is certainly going to be the biggest test of the year so far for that o Ohio State pass defense. And, and, and because of that, you know, when I start thinking about a score prediction for this game, you know, I, I've kind of gone back and forth on where I'm, where I'm going to go with this. But I'm looking at something like 45 to 21, and that's, I probably a little more conservative um, than I feel like I could go, at least in terms of the offense, because like I said, I, I do think that Ohio State is going to get more possessions in this game. And if Ohio State can be more efficient than they've been with those possessions, then they could easily score upwards of 50 points. But given that I've overshot significantly on the Ohio State score predictions the last couple of weeks, I think I'm going to dial that back a little bit this week and, and go with 45 points for Ohio State. And I do think it's not going to be as dominant a performance for the Ohio State defense this week, just because I think this is going to be more of a test for the Buckeyes. Uh, you know, certainly, uh, you know, you, you still want to see 
uh, the Buckeyes control this game on the defensive side of the ball. But I, I do think that we're going to see, you know, Western Kentucky, you know, make it share of plays and, and probably score, you know, at least two or three touchdowns. And so when I see a 28 point spread for this game, I wouldn't bet it either way because, I mean, I think the Buckeyes easily could cover that spread. I think if they come out firing on all cylinders on offense, they certainly could cover that spread. But I wouldn't pick it just because I, I, I do think this Western Kentucky team is a good group of five team. And, and I think they're going to test the defense in a way that we just haven't seen in the first couple of games. I do think the defense is going to be tested a lot more. I do think Western Kentucky will make some plays, more plays than Indiana or, or what Youngstown State did. Uh, but I do think ultimately the defense is going to pass the test for as you know, much concern as I might have at the defensive end position. I think the secondary is legit. I think uh, Denzel Burke is among the best corners in college football. What he's shown these first couple of weeks, what he showed freshman year, and how he's bounced back and worked harder after struggling last year through injuries. Him complimented by Davison Igbenosin and Jordan Hancock uh, at that cornerback position have really established a strong outside presence to then plug in Sonny Styles as a truly dynamic safety. And then you roll in Hancock when you need that pure cover guy. Lathan's been solid. I know everyone wants to remember the Michigan and Georgia games and some of the struggles that he had in those two games last year. But for 11 games, he looked like a world beater at that boundary safety spot. And I think he's been quietly solid this year. You haven't called his name much, but a lot of times that's good at the safety position, right? You really haven't seen him make those lapses yet. That'll be tested Saturday. Um, you know, it again, the last question mark remains with that free safety spot. But I think Proctor has taken strides. I think you have an experienced option there in Carter. I think that spot will be good enough with the rest of the talent that's around it in the secondary to really tie the defense together. I have, again, my concerns about the defensive ends, but I think this defense is progressing in the right direction in terms of that, you know, limiting the explosives in the passing game. My score prediction for this game is 49-14. I think Kyle McCord takes another step this week, especially after having been named the full-time starter. I think that does, even if no one will admit it, even if, you know, whatever you want to say, there's a certain amount of extra confidence that, with, that comes with knowing I'm the guy. I'm the guy. This is my offense now, and I'm going to go out there and prove what I can do. So I expect to see that from McCord this week. Um, I still think, you know, there's going to be hiccups along the O-line, but maybe they take another step. Maybe the third downs are a little better, and you get more possessions overall. So I'm going with 49-14 Ohio State. So Andy's going with the cover, but under. I'm going with the cover, or I'm going with no cover, but over. But neither of us is like super confident in that. So that, that tells you no. the betting lines for this week are pretty good. Um, it means, you know, bet at your own risk, because I think this is a game <laughs> that could, could easily go either way. Ohio State is 0-2 against the spread uh, so far this year. But I think we both agree. The, the ingredients are there, but Ohio State's offense should take another step this week it is going to be a bigger test for the defense and i think as i said i, I think we're going to learn something about both sides of the ball this week like you know the first couple of weeks like it's been a kind of a lot of like and eh, how much can we really take away from all this I, I think this game is going to be more of a litmus test for where ohio state is right now going into a really big game next week against notre dame 
hundred percent. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of other stuff happening along college football too, Dan, the non Ohio state's not the only one that's going to be learning some things this week has learned some things the first two weeks. Um, you know, I think we've learned a lot more about certain teams than we've learned about Ohio state. I think, you know, the biggest game of course, across college football this past week, uh, Texas and Alabama, Maybe Texas is back. I would say it's safe to say uh, they're back in a certain sense when you go on the road and beat Alabama. I mean, that's kind of how more back can you get? Now, the wheels could still fall off at this point, but Quinn Ewers looks legitimate. Um, I know Ohio State fans, some of them might be missing him. There was really not a lot they could have done to keep him around uh, in that situation. It just felt like ultimately, but... For regardless of that, he looks good this year. The Texas offense looked really good and ultimately pulled away from Alabama in that game. Yeah, I mean, like you said, to go into Tuscaloosa and win, that doesn't happen very often. So to do that, uh, that's a huge win. That's why Texas moved up into the top five and jumped Ohio State in the polls, and in my mind, rightfully so, because when you go in and you you win a game like that at Alabama – uh, you deserve the credit for that. And Texas now looks like a you know real legit CFP contender. I mean, when you look at their schedule, they don't have really any other road games on the schedule that are super intimidating. Of course, they have that neutral site game against Oklahoma and the Red River game. That is going to be a massive game in the Big 12. Uh, they play Kansas State, who's currently ranked 15th in the country in November. So there's still some tests there, but you look at Texas's schedule and you think, all right, like this, this sets up pretty well for Texas to be a team that could potentially make a CFP run. And I think when I look at these first couple weeks, you know, I think one of my big takeaways is you really do feel right now, like all five conferences have at least one legit CFP contender. And oddly enough, the conference that may have the fewest real CFP contenders right now, or at least tied for it, is the SEC. Because we saw LSU lose to Florida State, and we saw Alabama lose to Texas in the first two weeks. That leaves both of those teams with really no margin for error the rest of the way. You know, Georgia is the clear favorite in the SEC now, and I think we'd both agree that they're a team we both expect to see in the CFP once again this year. But, you know, Florida State and Texas with those big wins, they've now really established themselves as strong CFP contenders in their conferences. And then, of course, in the Big Ten, you know, there's three teams in the Big Ten East in Michigan, Ohio State, and Penn State that I think are all CFP contenders. And the Pac-12 is really, for a conference that's about to die, uh, is sure looking strong so far this year. They currently have eight teams ranked in the top 25. I've talked about it. I like Washington as a team that's a CFP contender. USC, of course, uh, is looking great so far with Caleb Williams. Oregon survived a scare against Texas Tech, and they're very much in a mix. Utah survived a scare against Baylor. They're very much in a mix. And then we got to talk about Colorado because mm-hmm. Colorado looks legit. I mean, I mean, certainly exceeding my expectations uh, for just how quickly – uh, Deion Sanders has got this train rolling out there in Boulder and uh, some big tests to come for Colorado. You know, I was looking at the schedule last night for the uh, bye week that Ohio State will have. And it's like Colorado USC is now the game I'm most excited to watch that week because, uh, you know, Colorado's still going to have to play Oregon before that. Uh, so, you know, it's 
still one big test for Colorado before it plays that game. But, you know, that's a game that all of a sudden looks like it has some real implications. And with the way Caleb Williams and Shador Sanders are playing, that could be a really fun quarterback duel to watch. So you look at all of that and, you know, I think one of my big takeaways, it's like I talked about last week where I, you know, I think the big 10 has three teams that could easily be top five teams in the country. You know, I think Ohio state, again, if everything comes together, Ohio state is capable of being as good as every team in the country, but it also feels like the margin for error might already be shrinking because if you have, if all five power five conferences end up having teams that are very much in the thick of a CFP race, the likelihood of the Big Ten getting two teams into that four-team playoff decreases significantly. And that means that those games that Michigan and Ohio State and Penn State play against each other could be extremely decisive. I, I think uh, a lot of people thought the back 12 might go out with a whimper this year, but they're going out with a bang, it seems like, uh, just the way these first couple of weeks have gone. I, I think, uh, look, Colorado, you know, go on the road, upset TCU in the fashion they did. That was, you know, a huge week one victory. You, The question then always is for a new head coach with new momentum at a program, What's the next week look like? Do you have a letdown and what was a losable game for them against Nebraska? I think, you know, as as much struggle as Nebraska has gone through the last couple seasons, that's a, a classic throwback Big 12 game when both were in the conference at one time. And I, you know, they passed that test with flying callers. It pulled blew out Nebraska ultimately and looks like a very legit team. USC has looked like world beaters as well these first couple weeks so that bye week game does have a lot of intrigue for um you know if your ohio state fans are looking for some extra college football action to watch when uh, the buckeyes aren't playing uh that weekend you know and uh like you said just a lot of teams around the country emerging right now florida state really the main acc contender i think you talk about uh you know, the SEC only having one team that looks like a true CFP contender at this point, really, with Georgia. Uh, the ACC, as hard as Clemson's fallen, it's really up to Florida State, it seems, in that conference. But Florida State does look legit. When you talk about a win over LSU to start the year, it, it the likelihood is more, seems bigger and bigger that all five conferences are going to have a team in that running come the end of the year you expect a one loss big 10 champion to be in there so ohio state does have that sliver of wiggle room but it doesn't i, I don't have any confidence right now or I, I have a lot less confidence i should say there's always a chance but i have a lot less confidence that the big 10 can get two teams in just because you know i think one loss conference champions almost always are going to get in above any team that loses you know you have to lose a game not to win your conference it doesn't win the conference. So a lot of interesting things going on out there for Ohio State. Uh, and kind of more closer to home in that line, in that vein. Wisconsin and Purdue both had interesting results. One positive, one negative this week. Uh, Wisconsin suffered its first loss under the guy, the, the leadership of Luke Fickle falling to Washington State, a game in which the Cougars pulled ahead early. Wisconsin started to come back as the second half progressed, but then ultimately fell, um, you know, by two scores in that one. And Purdue, after losing to Fresno State in week one, went on the road and beat Virginia Tech. And uh, I think Buckeye fans are very familiar with how tough a game in West Lafayette 
can be. So uh, that that's uh, you know you got your eye on that game a little more now. Come October. Yeah, it's very Purdue to lose to a group of five school in week one and then bounce back with a nice win in week two. You just never know what you're going to get from Purdue, but they do. It does. They are a team that, for whatever reason, uh, in throughout recent history, it seems like they they play up to their competition. When they when they place the better team, they play better, and so uh, that that's always going to be a uh, trap game potential there. And when Ohio State goes to Purdue in October. And, you know, I know that when we talked about it before the season, you know, Wisconsin is the game that I really had circled as that potential trap game for Ohio State coming one week after Penn State at the end of October. I still think it is. I, you know, I, I, I think that, you know, just because they lost one game doesn't all of a sudden mean, oh, that Ohio State's going to have a cakewalk against Wisconsin. But I, I think certainly the game that we saw on Saturday validated some of your concerns that you had about Wisconsin to where this might not be an immediate turnaround under Luke Fickle. Yeah, no, I, I had said it all off season. I think it's going to take a lot of time when you bring in that many transfers, you're implementing an offense that's never been run at Wisconsin. You know, uh, it's, it takes at least a year for all of that to click. Um, and so, you know, maybe by the time Wisconsin plays Ohio State, they're going to I mean, I'm sure they'll be in a better spot. Will they be a mile ahead of where they are now? Who's to say? And going into Camp Randall, regardless of how good Wisconsin is in a given year, is tough. I mean, that's just a tough place to play. But, you know, I, I, am, I have been of the opinion that it's not going to take as quickly. I didn't think it was justified for Wisconsin to be ranked heading into that game. I feel validated in that opinion. But, um, you know, I, I still believe that Luke Fickle's going to build a good program there. I just think it takes more time when you're bringing in so much new to a place and, you know, again, running that Phil Longo scheme that is contrary to what Wisconsin's done uh, over the past however many years. Not the most exciting slate of college football games on tap for week three. There's not really anything that stands out as a marquee matchup. Uh, and that's why Ohio State's playing Western Kentucky on Fox. You know, you know, Western Kentucky's not a team that you would usually see in a national network game, but uh, with them playing Ohio State, they're going to get that opportunity for that that national spotlight, and uh, you'll see if Ohio State uh, can raise its game in, in the national spotlight, and we'll see uh, what Western Kentucky uh, can show the nation playing against one of the top teams in the country. But uh, you know, it's. It's one of those weeks where you kind of look at it and like you expect that it's probably going to be mostly chalk, but these are the kind of weeks when 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 chaos happens. So Ohio State's certainly going to hope that that chaos doesn't happen in Columbus, but uh, you, you, it'll be interesting to see if any chaos, any big upsets happen elsewhere in the country. I think there's certainly some potential for it, Dan. I mean, looking at the schedule, I know Boston College, and we're very familiar with Jeff Halfley. They've had their struggles of late, but I mean, Florida State riding the highs they're riding right now. You've got to be careful going on the road in a conference game anytime that happens. Uh, Penn State goes to Illinois this week. Not, you know, I don't think that's as concerning there. Uh, Penn State's looked very good the first couple weeks, and Illinois is not, you know, but uh, there's South Carolina at Georgia could be a game to watch. Uh, South Carolina, I think pretty underrated uh, kind of heading into this year. They've got some momentum behind that program right now and uh, could maybe that could maybe be a sleeper game to watch too. But yeah, overall, this is a chance, you know, being on Fox against a 
non-marquee opponent for Ohio State to show the improvements it's made these first few weeks. And they're going to have to because, look, I, I said it earlier, Notre Dame has looked fantastic the first two weeks of the se- the first few games for them this season. And, you know, some of it against Leicester competition, but beating NC State in the fashion they did last week uh, by a few scores, that... I think they rolled through a little easier in that game than maybe I was expecting for them to do on the road. Um, and NC State's a team that's always been capable of pulling upsets. So uh, their offense looks more dynamic with Sam Hartman. It's just the whole ether of this Western Kentucky game is this is a great litmus test for the ultimate test that comes next week. Top 10 showdown in South Bend. Um, and what I think will be Ohio State's toughest game until they play Michigan. It sure is going to be an interesting couple of weeks for the Ohio State football team. We will be back here next week to recap everything we saw in the Western Kentucky game and begin looking ahead to that top 10 showdown against Notre Dame. So we hope you join us then and enjoy the rest of your week.